Welcome to the Happy Mindset, episode number 96. Today's episode is called Rogue Leadership. So today I'm joined by Paul Rosenberg. Paul is a transformational coach and leader. He's the founder of Tercia Oculus Business Synergies. With this company, he helps, he helps other companies to manage change and to innovate. Companies that work with his company include BP, British Petroleum, American Airlines, and Honeywell. He's bilingual. He speaks Spanish and English. The company Tercia Oculus is actually Latin for third eye. So on today's episode, Paul talks a lot about going within, uh, bringing some wisdom into business in order to bring about change. So he talks about this in a very practical sense as well. When it comes to decision making, how do we get the best out of ourselves when it comes to saying no, when it comes to communicating with teams as well. He talks about that. He talks about managing change. So we're going through times right now where there's a lot of turmoil, there's a lot of change, there's a lot of disruption going on. So Paul, on this episode, talks about ways to slow down, slow down the process and see what's happening in front of us and move from there. So I enjoyed talking to Paul. He's got a lot of wisdom to share. I enjoyed reading his book as well, Rogue Leadership. It gave me some insights into leadership, uh, which were good because Paul's approach is very much from what I got from the book and it's very much based on looking more within and bringing that out in a practical way into a business environment with other people as well. So it's an interesting conversation. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks again for listening and uh, yeah, speak to you soon. Okay, so thanks for joining us today, Paul. Great to be here. My pleasure. So um, my first question for you is who are you and what are you doing in the world today? Uh, my name's uh, Paul Rosenberg, obviously, and I'm a, I'm a uh, leadership coach. And um, right now, uh, an author just wrote a book a year ago and have a YouTube channel and, and focused really on um, two things, really simplifying uh, the outside world noise and, and, and helping people make better decisions and understand um, how to respond in a more effective way and and really developing that muscle that we all have but we have either forgotten how to use or have uh you know lost that capacity which is the internal instinct and reflective mechanism that can help us to a better path forward mm. oh your, your book your your book's called rogue leadership can you talk to us, what, what is rogue leadership? Rogue leadership really is taking a step back from the routine. Why I call it rogue is it's really going against the grain. We're all told that we have to, at least in the business world, that we have to act, we have to be decisive, we have to do it now, we have to somehow manage this barrage of information and noise coming at us every day, the millions of, you know, of, data and emails and whatever and and my, my view is by going rogue by stepping back from that we can actually make better decisions take advantage of opportunities in a more clear and precise way by going inward as opposed to responding outward do you always have that capacity in you to be able to take a step back or do you remember when you started to learn that I think we all have that capacity. I think because of the way most, at least in the Western world, we're taught is 
it's taught out of us and um, there's the either we uh, don't respect it and we go oh, that's just touchy-feely hippie stuff you know that cosmic stuff um, or we're afraid of it but we all have that capacity as human beings there's that connection there and if we just begin every now and then to exercise that to use that we can develop it I mean I am a twin and I have telepathy with my brother not all the time people go well you know is it all the time I go no when he's at a party having fun I don't suddenly just have a big smile on my face or you know whatever but but the point is that we all have that capacity we've just been taught not to value it and therefore we don't think we have have that tool that we do. I don't know of any other way to put it. We all have it. So what are, what are some ways that you've um, gone about accessing that part of yourself in your life? When things get really noisy or there's a pressure from the outside, that's the moment I step back. I kind of break the current in electrical terms. I circuit break it and step back. And then I decide what to do. So the first time I started doing that, I realized that I had, I had that power. I didn't have to react to everything, but take right action. Take a step back, whether it's five minutes, whether it was an hour, whether it was going for a walk, and be the circuit breaker. And then, then decide what I wanted to do, because otherwise... I'm just reacting from an emotive, impulsive level. And um, most of those decisions don't turn out very well, in my view. Hmm. And so like, did you start reading about this stuff as well? Or was it just something that you implemented in your own life and you just saw the benefits from it? Uh, I've, I've been an avid reader my whole life. My mom was... Uh, a bit of a psychic so we had some interesting books my mom and my dad both were metaphysical so we had some interesting books around the house that way and i saw it in action i saw it <coughs> excuse me i saw it with my my twin brother so um there's a chapter in the book about uh, you know being involved in a shootout i was involved in a shootout um i almost died there were people who were shot in front of me um, I'm running around this building trying to find safe refuge. And um, when I called my brother uh, a couple hours later after the gunman had been uh, killed, um, there was just silence on the other end. And my brother said, what time was this? We were both on the West Coast. I was in San Francisco and he was in LA. And I said around... Uh, three o'clock and he was dead silent and at that same moment he was experiencing heart palpitations and he thought he was going to die so <laughs> that to me was living proof that um you know we have we have that connection and that ability to to listen to our instincts and be more aware of what's going on so yeah it's a yeah, a lot of reading and some some personal life experiences in trusting my gut or having 
that kind of profound experience where somebody was kind of feeling what I was feeling inwardly and not, not being there physically. Mm. And then how did you start bringing this sort of understanding into a business environment, into a corporate environment? I think the, the main thing is, to, is that we all have that voice. We all have that gift, if you want to call it that, and to trust it. And I'm not saying, you know, some people say, gosh, I have a gut feeling. If you have that feeling, it may not be very clear. It may be just a whim or more nuanced than that. But if you do step away from the noise, your office, um, that conversation, go for a quick walk, you can hear it better. And, and when you hear it better, there's more clarity. And when there's more clarity, it can help you make decisions. So I think the main thing for my advice for anybody, CEOs to, to the daily worker, is that if you have um, an impulse, create the space to listen to it. Why most of us don't listen to it is we, we don't take the time to give it even five minutes. And I'm not saying take an hour, but take some time to listen to what it's telling you. And you'll, I think you'll slowly understand that it, it doesn't take a Herculean effort or a massive effort to, to make that be part of your toolkit. Mm. Okay. And what are some simple ways to make space for it then that, that you've used? Uh, I like the, you know, if somebody's calling me and I really need to pay attention to X, whatever that is, um, then I say, hey, would you mind if I call you back in 10 minutes? I don't allow that phone call coming in to control my time. I control that space. Um, if, if I need to take a walk, then I'll go take a walk and clear my head or I'll shut the door and, and tell, you know, if I'm a leader, tell my team, hey, no interruptions for 10 minutes. Take the phone off the hook, turn off the computer. Um, we can all do that fairly easily, but we just don't. Hmm. What do you think that is? Is, is that we're too distracted in our minds or like what's going on? I don't think we give ourselves permission. So in the book, I talk about a, a guy who's called from the UK. He's in Azerbaijan, big, big BP oil, you know, director going, I want a decision now. And I watched him, and this is very tough to do with his big boss. His big boss had the necessity to get a decision now. And what this guy did was he said, hey, I need some time. I'm not interested in giving you a decision now. I'm interested in giving you the best decision that I can come up with now. So can you give me that hour to come back to you? And I think if we understand that if we can negotiate that and be authentic and transparent, people are gonna give us that space. But I think we're fearful of saying no. I mean, I've, I've worked with tons of clients who have that issue. They just can't say no, especially to their bosses or to people who come in, their employees who need their help now. And if they really can't, then they're doing that other individual or group a disservice because they're not really present. They're busy. They're there physically, but they're busy in their mind someplace else. So my, my view is that's a, 
that's a waste of time and a wasted transaction. You have to be really present to make that work. Hmm. So, so somebody right now, if they're listening and they, that fear of saying no does paralyze them in those situations, how do they move through that? Um, they have to try it. The, the <laughs> only way I know to move through it is yeah. to just, is to jump in the pool and find ways to carve out that time. Honestly, I've, I've, I can't think of any situations where somebody hasn't told me as, cause I was a senior executive, hasn't told me, Hey, can I get back to you a little bit later because of this and this and this? Um, there, I think there always is room for negotiation. I have, I can't think of a time when somebody has been straightforward and said, I'd love to, Hey, can we meet? I need to talk to you now. I'd love to, can we talk in an hour? So you honor their request, but you honor yourself by making sure that when you do meet or do talk, that it's the right space for both of you so that it's valuable for both of you. How many times have, have we done that though? I've done it. But yeah, yeah, what do you need? Okay, and okay, yeah, and okay, all right, yeah, got it. And I haven't heard a single word the person said. I just wanted to get them out of my office. Yeah. I mean, I've done it tons of times in my old self. <laughs> my, new, my new self doesn't do that stuff anymore. So that, like, that's where the, the being present comes into it there. You're, you're getting actual communication rather than that kind of surface level stuff that nothing goes in. Yeah, absolutely. Being present to me means nothing has nothing to do with the physical presence. It has to do with the, the mindset. Are you listening? Are you really there for that other individual and, and just focused on them or if it's a group on the group? That's, that to me is presence. Because mm, you mentioned your book too about the ripple effect that can have as a leader on the people. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because that's not even, um, it's not even the words that people are saying. It's the actual essence. It's the, it's the presence that they have in people. Yeah, the ripple effect really is, is this, is that um, if you show up authentically to one person, um, and usually it's where the dynamic is where it's a boss and it's a, it's a, it's a worker or it's a boss and a middle manager. And there's that whole role or chart stuff going on. But in five minutes, I can, ch I can change my reputation or change how people view me. Uh, if I have that authentic five minute conversation, if I'm there for that person and you know, leaders have town halls and all that good stuff, that's great. But really there's power in that one-on-one -on -one in the hallway. If I have that authentic conversation, I'm really present for that person. It doesn't take more than a couple of more of those for everybody else to say, Hey, that person, you know, it, it, that, that positive impact, ripples throughout the organization. So in, a, in the book, I talk about a woman who, uh, you know, went down to the shop floor. It's submarines, so it's big stuff. And the workforce um, was worried about her. She was the vice president, and she just showed up and worked on different work packages. And she did it three times, and by the third time, everybody's going, oh, my gosh. And there was nothing they wouldn't do for her. Why? Because when she showed up, she was there just to help them. She wasn't the vice president. Can you imagine a 
hourly worker working alongside a vice president in a global Fortune 500 company, the fear that first time, like they were going to lose their job, that she was watching them, all those things. And guess what? It was an amazing experience because she was just there for them. She was handing them tools. She was their assistant. Amazing story of presence. And she changed the culture with three, three visits to the shop floor. Didn't take much. Mm -hmm. so the question I would have would be, um, what's stopping us from being, from being more authentic in the workplace? I think we have a fear that we're supposed to be, we have this kind of idea of who we're supposed to be. Um, and that doesn't mean that, um, you know, we have to be loved by everybody. In fact, some of the people who I've worked with the most aren't loved by a whole lot of people, but they're certainly respected because they're authentic. It's in how it's in the words we choose. So, one of my big lessons is when you're having these face-to-face -face conversations or with your team or with a group, slow it down, like slow it down, um, engage, listen, and more often than not, you're going to create the right dialogue. And I've seen people who've had a do some tough things and say some tough things that people didn't like, but because they, they delivered it well and because they were authentic, people love that authenticity. So I think we, we have this fear that we somehow have to be um, liked, loved, or, or if, if our thing is a power trip, then we have to come down and I'm the decisive leader and this is what I say. And there's a ton of those out there and what I say goes and you do what I say. And, you know, there, there's that fear of if I'm not that, that that somehow is weak. And I think what's weak is giving into that. That's real weakness as opposed to trusting, um, that if you if you are clear and you're present and you're authentic then everything's gonna take care of itself people will respect that mm. the other thing i suppose that comes up a lot in, in the business environment is uh or in the world in general is change and change after uh, often comes through chaos and disruption so how do we deal with those situations how do we let go of the illusion of control we have in those situations as well I think I think change, if you look at it, um, and it happens all the time, managing that change, if you look at it as, a, as an opportunity to do something different, I think those that try to control it end up losing the battle. So my, my advice is when, when upheaval happens is it's, it's no surprise. Number one, back away, you know, from the crisis take some time to reflect on it, look at it. So I can, you know, right now we have the coronavirus and it's all an emotional, you know, they're throwing stuff, at least in the States, they're throwing stuff on the wall. 
they, you know, it's been a very reactive. Whereas if, if there had been that, that somber kind of pause on any action until you had time to think it through, um, I think, I think we'd be seeing a, a better result right now, at least in the States. That's the only thing I can, I can refer to. So when the change happens, you have two choices, let it overwhelm you or find, um, and, and getting out of your comfort zone, my view, uh, which change brings is actually very healthy because it allows you to keep transforming and, and, and keep growing. And if you're successful with that, you can, you can move forward. So an example, um, you know, Blockbuster, which was the video in Netflix and Netflix went out of business in terms of their sending the CDs or the DVDs back and forth. They had to adapt and now they make a shitload of money on streaming. They had to reinvent themselves again. And instead of holding on to where, you know, you, I, I used to mail the DVDs back in the post office. Um, so those who were successful managed to harness that as a catalyst to reinvent themselves. And I think we all can do that. When change comes, we need to understand that even if it may be really negative at the moment, that there's always opportunity within that chaos and that turmoil to do something different. Hmm. Do you remember any, um, any reinventions in your own life? Oh, there's tons, there's, yeah. there's, there's tons of them. I mean, I, beca I, I became a, I became a coach as a, as a reinvention. Uh, yeah, I was a big marketing guy and, uh, I had this great job and, um, it wasn't any outside um, chaos that caused it. It was internal chaos, which was I wasn't happy. And I walked into my boss's office that day and I said, you know what? I'm not adding any value. You founded this company. Um, I can never be better than you. You're the master marketer. I don't know why you hired me as your marketing director. Um, let's just call it a day. And I walked out on the street and picked up a newspaper and there was an ad for a, a, co a company looking for coaches and the fit was there. So I've always been willing. Um, I don't have any real moments where chaos changed who I am, but I have tons of moments where what showed up changed who I am. Uh, it changed my path time and time again, I'm in this box, an opportunity showed up, I thought about it and I took it and that has accelerated me forward. So lots of change in my life and I've just been fortunate that um, I took the time to be present about that opportunity, which most people miss. Most people looked at the opportunities and get, are you crazy? I'm like, yeah, but. <laughs> You know, <laughs> you know, hear me out. Most people said, there, there's no way I'd do that if I were you. Because they were approaching it at a, a logical way, mm -hmm. not, a, not in an um, insightful way. 
Were you always like that, though? Like the not letting other people's opinions or perspectives get in your way of making a clear decision? Yeah, I think I think so. I think I think it just. Um, uh, you know, I have a twin brother. He wanted to be a writer his whole life since he was five. What do you think he does today? He's a writer for television. So, you know, he he had it easy in that way. People go, oh, well, you know, what do you want to do? I don't know. And I was that way till I became a coach at 38. So I was going, I don't know, till I was 38. I was open to the possibilities. So, um and that just got reinforced. So maybe I was born with it. But my point is, is that every every step of the way that I've changed hats, roles, locations, whatever it is, it's been because of an opportunity that presented itself combined with what I felt internally. And so once that worked once, That worked out. I got to pay more attention. So it's just been reinforced my whole life. Hmm. Yeah, being, yeah, that's good. Um, damn it, I had a question there. Yeah, what were the skill sets you developed that actually opened the opportunity to become a coach? Like, what, what were the different skill sets you had that made you a good, a good candidate to be a coach? Say, say that again. Sorry, we broke up. Yeah, it was just um, what I was thinking was like, what were the skill sets you had developed up to your, your 30s where you, where you became a coach? Like, what were the skill sets that made you a good candidate to be a coach? Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a whim one that's worked out really well. Um, I had, I was in Sweden. I had a conversation with a friend of mine and I used to do improvisation. So um, there was always that skill set of going with the flow and being really present which I got developed doing improvisation. And she said, why don't you try being a stand-up comic? And there was a boom in Sweden at the time. I did an open mic and I ended up having that career. So that ability to engage and size people up quickly helps with coaching, that ability to understand where someone is or a group is. Now I can imagine if I can understand how a group of 100 people who are drunk and demand to be demand that you're funny, if I can manage them, the rest is really, really, really easy. So it taught me how to read people quickly, how to engage and how to align. So that's one thing. The international journey that I've taken has taught me that in spite of all the, well, you got to understand this culture and that culture and this nuance and that nuance is that basically having worked on every continent except Antarctica, that there's a core, we're all human beings, and that that skill set of understanding behavior, the, the, the commonality of all of us, I saw it in so many different settings before I became a coach, I was already living internationally, <clears throat> taught me that, hey, there, there's this common core here. So there's communication, engagement, uh, the ability to listen, um, exposure to lots of different business and cultural environments where there was an easy common, I saw a commonality. I didn't see the differences. Those things helped me become, you know, a good coach. Mm, that's very well explained. Yeah, that's very useful. 
Because, yeah, like the, the people who listen to this have like different interests, trying to see how they combine. Sometimes over time, I feel it's like it takes a bit of time to, to let these skills develop and then you might have the right opportunity for you. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think sometimes you don't know. I didn't know I was on the path to coach, but now looking back, I go, oh, that's why I'm a coach. Yeah. You know, once I saw the whole mosaic uh, in terms of, you know, running my own business as a youngster, all those components helped me when I started coaching. Those were the muscles the muscle set that I developed and then apps obviously since coaching a whole bunch of new muscles, but th those were the pieces that I didn't know how. Oh crap. This is, this, this is great. This is, this is why this is what I can use for my past to, uh, to deal with the present. It's interesting too. how comedy helped you to become a coach. Like what um, what things about comedy did you learn that not a lot of people would know were actually important core components of it? Well, I think there's that creative element that I think most people lose. If you're in a startup, you you take more risks. You uh, are naturally more innovative and creative. And being a comic, and obviously on the improv side, it's all creating at the moment i mean there's nothing better about being present than being on stage and having no freaking clue where you're headed uh being a comic is different because you have a minute from when you hit the stage i don't care how good your material is to make that connection so the comedy the the improv side helps with um creating on the spot going with the flow in improv the number one rule is take care of each other on stage you're there for each other not for yourself all those things are great for business and then on the comedy side it really is how do i engage quickly how do i get people to be with me versus against me because they are against you when you walk on stage unless you're famous they're definitely against you they're like all right Make me laugh, <laughs> fill in the blank, explicative, whatever, you know. <clears throat> I mean, we could go culturally across the world as to what that word is, but make me laugh, you, mm, okay? So <laughs> um, the comedy is really more structured, right? And, and it's about the material I had was good, but some nights I bombed. So it wasn't the material was was not the issue the quality of my content wasn't the issue it was the quality of my ability to connect so i think as a leader if if i can if i can connect with my team um or if i'm a middle manager or even if i'm on a team as a colleague that ability is at the end of the day if the if the business is doing well, it's because everybody's aligned and everybody's supporting each other and everybody's doing what they need to do. Right. Uh, and then it's a successful night of the club. <clears throat> if, if that connection doesn't happen and I'm doing that as a leader, then I'm going to have, I'm going to have bumps along the way. People may not be making the right decisions. People may not be, making decisions in the best interest of the business as a whole if there's a disconnect. 
And yeah, there's always a few demotivated people, but at the end of the day, if the team is really together and focused and supportive of each other um, and going with the flow that way, then you're going to have a more profitable outcome, pure and simple. It's all tied to money. I mean, we can talk esoterically, but yeah. you know, the, the soft side is the hard side. Mm-hmm. You know, the hard stuff is the soft stuff. It's not, you know, that, that's what creates value. It's an aligned team that's communicating, that is connected, that take care of each other, that make good decisions each day. That's good. You know? I, think, I think that's a very important point, actually. Um, I think, like we were saying earlier, with the comedian, you can have the best material possible, but if there's no connection there, there's no impact. In a business, too, I guess, you can have all the right stuff technically, but there's no connection between the team no synergies and stuff, it's kind of useless too, I guess. Yeah, you can have the best product in the world and that goes for your customers as well. If you don't connect with your team and your customers, then you can have the best product in the world and you're not gonna, you're not gonna succeed, hmm. right? You're not gonna succeed, so. How about your skill sets as they applied to uh, writing, for writing the book? How, did, how natural was that for you when it came to writing? That was pretty natural because I learned long ago when I was in university doing a mass communications degree. Great class. They made us write in a different style every week. So we had to write, you know, journalistic style, investigative journalist style. We had to write biography. We had, you know, autobiography. We had to go through all that stuff. And one of my professors was brilliant because I was stuck. And she said, you know what? Don't start at the, at, the, at the beginning, start where you want. So instead of doing it sequentially, which is where everybody gets stuck, every day I just wrote what I wanted and that formed the chapters. You know, by the end of six months I had, I had the book and then of course I had to really write it and I had an editor who was brilliant and she's like, I don't understand what to, you're saying what are you saying here help me you know but the point is the chapters came together organically not not sequentially and um so it's just natural to just kind of go take that reflection go okay okay today i'm gonna talk about or write about connection or to or today i'm gonna write about um you know clarity and communication whatever whatever it was that kind of Bubble to the surface. I did exactly the same thing with my book. It was just, um, I used to just like write a chapter here and there. And when I used to think about it in sequence, that used to be very overwhelming for me. I'd never see myself writing a book because I thought about writing it from start to finish in a sequence. Uh, I don't think a lot of people actually do that, write from start to finish in a sequence. Yeah, I pro- probably most writers don't, but that's kind of what we're taught, right? That's, mm. I mean, in school, we're kind of, that's the first time when I was in, in university. And so same thing you wrote. So you wrote a chapter here, chapter there, or parts of a chapter. And then, then you had the daunting process of putting it all together in some. At the start, way, right? at the start I had an outline. So I had the chapter yeah. titles and then oh, cool. I would write about it. Whatever I felt was on my mind that day I would write about that chapter. Uh, so that's kind of how I organized and that's how I actually enjoyed it because I was getting more clear on what I wanted to write about that team and uh, yeah because otherwise going start to finish it was no I wouldn't have been able to do it like that 
And how, how was your process, fellow author, of putting it all together in a in a meaningful way? What 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 was that process like? Well, it was. I remember at the start, I only had thirteen chapters, and then I wanted to actually. I read another book, and I was like, I like the short, snappy chapters. So I actually split that up into like twenty-four, I think, or twenty-three in the end. And it was just like from start to finish. So there was this, there was an event at the start, and it was like it was just a chronological order, and that there was the key lessons in that chrono chronology. So it was from like twenty ten to twenty twenty. So actually, it was covered my entire twenties. It was the key lessons I learned along the way. Nice. So what it actually did for me was actually I got clear on what worked in my life because I was getting to a point where I was getting confused with all the all the noise out there of what people say works. And the book helped me to get clear on what actually worked for me in a, as an individual and move forward with that. So that was well, um, a great learning process. Yeah. Great learning process, right? Definitely, yeah. So I definitely encourage anybody to do it, uh, to yeah. write a book. Yes. Yeah. But like what daunting. you're talking about there, but what, what you're talking about there, it doesn't become so daunting when you kind of break it up like that because it was yeah, very yeah. daunting to me before that. Yeah, yeah, me too. I was like, oh crap. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh oh. How how am I how am I gonna deal with this? I knew what I wanted to say, some major messages, but um, anyway. Did it take I'm you long then? Or did it take you long from start to finish then? To write the book? Now, well, the editing process took a while because I wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a good judge of, you know, my work. So I, you know, paid a professional person who I trusted to be just ruthless with me in terms of, so she was great in terms of saying, <clears throat> I love what you're saying. I just don't like how you're saying it. She was good to take the, you know, we'd have long talks like, what are you trying to say here? And help me get clarity of what I was really trying to say. And what it did is I learned a lot about going back to something you were, I were talking about pre podcast, which was how to be clear in, in my communication. Because now I'm writing for a reader who I don't know. And that whole lesson really taught me um, about the clarity of messaging and communication and simplifying. You know, she would say, why, why wouldn't you say this versus that? Why would you say it this way? It's too confusing. She'd force me to say what I wanted to say. And usually that's what I wanted to say. And it was like 5,000 words less than what I was saying. So it was, it is painful, but a great learning process. I loved it. I loved having somebody else just, just tear the heck out of it from a perspective of her not understanding what I was trying to communicate. Right? Hmm. There were parts of it where she said, "You're great," but there were parts of it where she goes, "What the?" Yeah, that would help you to become a better communicator then in your life as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, a good yeah. growing experience for me that way. Because you did mention the book about simple communication is the best way to express complex ideas. Yeah, uh, I, I absolutely. Like that, yeah. yeah, I think I think we just add so much. Um, the you know if we can get to the core, uh, it's easier to understand. First of all, 
uh, for anybody. Um, so if people are listening to you, um, same with uh, with the email. Shorter is better if you have to use email, but I'm, I'm a believer in getting up from the desk and going and talking, but being clear about what you want and how you how you phrase it. Take the slow it down so you can pick those the right words, right? Yep. Slow it down so you can pick the right words. Yeah, that's good. I guess when you slow it down too, you can listen better. And so you're using more of the right words to the person you're talking to, I guess, because you have more of a understanding of their language as well, I think. Yeah, and I think too, you go in, most of us don't do this, whether we're leaders or where, whatever we are in life, is that we don't think about what we want out of that conversation. Now, sometimes it's a spontaneous one in the hallway and that's why you have to slow it down because you conversations are planned and we have to understand what we want out of it. And that helps clarify what we're communicating. We're not just yamming, yamming away. If I know I have a one-on-one -on -one with each member of my team every week, why wouldn't I kind of, instead of waiting until they come in the door and going, oh, what were we going to talk about this week? <laughs> what do you want out of that meeting? What do you want out of that conversation? What do you want out of, out of, you know, out of that interaction? Mm -hmm. Cool. Thanks, Paul. It's great to, great to talk to you today. Yeah, it's been a blast. Yeah, I really appreciate it and uh, really grateful for the connection as well. So where would people find you online if they wanted to reach out or work with you? They, they can go to www.rosenbergpaul.com. Please note, I am not Eminem's lawyer or manager as I get phone calls and text messages every day about how great a rapper they are or whatever, but www.rosenberg.paul, sorry, www.rosenbergpaul.com and, uh, or my YouTube site, I have a YouTube site now called Sways uh, to get a hold of me. Sorry, we, we, yeah, I think froze there. Sure I don't know if you. I don't know if you got that, but <laughs> anyway, I'll put it in the the show notes. No, your YouTube yeah. channel and uh, your website. Yeah, perfect, perfect. Thanks again for the time, and it's been great talking to you. You too, Paul. It's been a pleasure. So until next okay. time, have fun and All enjoy the, best. the process. Bye. Me too. Bye.